Hello, all of you beautiful people who are listening to our podcast. So today we are talking about Joker. And unfortunately, while recording this, we did run into some technical difficulties, which caused us to have to use a different software to record. So with that being said, you will hear a major difference in the way I sound now versus the way I sound over a Zoom call. So please be patient. We hope you enjoy the conversation and hopefully you can ignore the terrible audio quality that will be in this episode. So please bear with us. On a second note, during this episode, we do talk a little bit about mental illness. And I just want to state for the record that none of us are mental health professionals in any way, state or form. The perspective we talk about mental illness from is from a film standpoint and the way that it is portrayed in the iterations of the Joker in Pet present and in past so please keep that in mind when listening to this episode another one i messed up on one of the final notes which is about the flashpoint which i don't want to spoil too much but the way that the flashpoint thing comes up is not the way flashpoint works for a flashpoint to work bruce has to die and thomas and martha have to be alive so keep that in mind that'll be later in the episode but for now enjoy the episode warning the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. To another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Today we will be talking about the 2019 Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix. It has a 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 68 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 59 on Metacritic. Joining me to talk about this today is Cookie. Hello out there to the podcast world. And Regent. We're back. So Cookie, you just watched this for the first time this weekend, right? Yep. What did you think about your first watch? I enjoyed it. It was really nice. I wouldn't say it's a movie that I would go around bragging like, hey, you have to really watch this, but I definitely enjoyed it. The quality, I would definitely have to say I'm going to get on 4K at some point. It deserves it. I will also like to point out it's kind of crazy about the scores that you read off. It seemed pretty low for a movie this quality. Oh, Marvel fanboys, how they review bomb. You want to dive into review bombing for a bit? Yeah, so basically for anyone who's been living under a rock for the last decade or so, Marvel and DC have this weird passive-aggressive relationship where when one movie comes out from one side, the one fan base will defend it to the death. But when the other one releases a movie, they will bombard it and bastardize it to make fans not go see it. That sucks. Yep, and it's usually DC that takes the brunt of the bombing. Not not much as Marvel unless you're talking about Captain Marvel. And that was more of the misogynistic fan base turning on their own. Yeah. I'm a firm believer of when it comes to movies, sure, you have the reviews, but I feel like we kind of need to really push more about looking at the trailers and doing your own research and making your own decision versus looking at the percentage on reviews. Because in a lot of ways, you can manipulate that. I don't feel like more than halftime, I don't feel like reviews do a movie total justice. Right. No, I would 100% agree with that. I feel like a lot of times... What I think about a movie is either higher or way lower than what it actually is on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm just like, that's just hurtful. Yeah, it just sucks that people will go online and purposefully trash on a movie just because they 
don't like the people who made it or they don't like what company it's inspired by for this instance marvel fans hating on dc and i say this as a huge fan of marvel it sucks that people do this because i really enjoyed this movie and i think it has so much more to offer than what people really know and i think a lot of the times the people who review bomb movies like this honestly haven't seen it and just don't care to on that subject since we're doing full review of the film i like to go ahead and bring up this piece is that it doesn't really feel like a superhero movie it feels like oh just a really good storytelling about various important things and someone's take on a piece of fiction but it, it never has felt like a traditional superhero film first of all that's a great thing in my opinion but part two i'm assuming with the review bombs it's too focused on the competitive nature between the two comic book giants versus just a good piece of work right it doesn't need to be a huge blockbuster action superhero film it's a very well written grounded story about a person in society struggling and society not helping him very important topics that should be discussed in general society today but the whole situation just sucks with this movie Regent, did you go to see this in theaters? I know Cookie just watched this, but did you? Me in particular, I did not. So as the Batman fan that I am and with the collection I have, unfortunately, this was the casualty of the Leto effect from Suicide Squad, which put a really bad taste in my mouth as a iteration of Joker. Just due to the fact of the way he tried to portray himself in all the different comic takes he was trying to blend in. It radiated over to this movie where I just was hesitant about going to see it because I didn't want to go two for two of seeing a Joker iteration and just falling flat per se. But after seeing a lot of the reviews and acknowledgments that the movie was getting and Joaquin's performance and even some of the awards they were winning predominantly to his performance and the directors and editing of the movie, I waited till it came out in 4K and picked up a copy during the holidays to watch it. This was one of those where, as a huge Marvel rat who will see anything Marvel puts out, I went and saw this twice in theaters. I went once the theater in DC and once once in a local theater. And both times I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and I pre-ordered the 4K copy and had it and watched it the day it came out on Blu-ray. Just something about this movie and how well it was written and how good the performances are and just how devastating the movie is it made me really appreciate the movie as an art form which is funny because we've had a previous episode where we've talked about movies from an artistic standpoint and i'm I'm just like yeah it made me too uncomfortable to enjoy it from an artistic standpoint but this even though it made me uncomfortable in some scenes i still found myself enjoying the movie yeah after watching this and having a few days to kind of think about it a lot more my personal review about the film is one of those, I wouldn't say controversial, but it's definitely one of those things that is kind of an extreme thing. But I would say the movie is almost near perfect. And I wouldn't just throw that around. I feel like I can definitely put a lot of case in their favor for it. I'm not going to say it's perfect because I don't believe anything is truly perfect, but I would say this is one of those examples. Now, I'm not saying necessarily in my book, like it's a 10 out of 10 movie only because it's just from a personal taste, but from a presentation and how tight the script is how tight the movie flows just all the pieces behind it you can tell a lot of craft and skill was put into it that is why i would present this as a near perfect film yeah what about you region how do you feel about this film as a whole 
I mean, from a cinematic standpoint, I think it was a great telling movie, at least in terms of an origin standpoint. As a Batman fan, it was more interesting to see Joker's lens of his coming of age, pretty much half a century long birth of a rivalry between him and Bruce. But that will be something we'll discuss further on as we talk more about the movie. I enjoyed it, but I'd have to agree with Cookie. There's there's something about that movie that didn't feel like it was a perfect film to me. But that might be just me being a stickler sticking on all the comics I grew up reading. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I liked this particular movie so much and this version of Joker so much is because it did take different versions of Joker, like a little hints of them, of the different ones, and then sprinkled them into this very unique take on Joker and his story. And it didn't have to be directly connected to Batman, even though there is a short appearance of Bruce Wayne, it wasn't directly connected. And something about that, it just being connected to society rather than this caped crusader just hooked me. There was nothing that was over the top about it. And it just felt really natural. And it felt like something that could happen in today's society. And I think that's another reason it hooked me is the realism behind it as well as the different take on the world of DC. So that was something I thoroughly enjoyed. So as far as performances are concerned, what did you guys think of Joaquin Phoenix in this role? And I will go to you first, Cookie. No offense, at this point, I'm starting to feel like we're going to be saying a lot of the same stuff over and over. (laughs) (laughs) He is the movie. That's why I say that, because I feel like I'm just going to repeat all the same stuff. I don't even want to take up too much time on that because I feel like that's my answer is he is the film. So so the way I explain how I feel about the film is the way I feel about his performance. And Regent? I mean, for him, I'd have to put his performance in between Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger as my favorite Jokers. Okay. Okay. I would say he's definitely up there in my favorite Joker league. I wouldn't exactly be able to do a ranking just due to the fact of in my current days, I'm not super well versed in the older ones. I think Mark Hamill's definitely up there as far as a character of Joker. But as far as live action, I would say it's it's a near tie between Joaquin and Heath Ledger. So now let's dive into the movie itself. This movie has a very just straight into action opening where you basically just don't really get any introduction or explanation to characters and who they are, why they are, where they are. And it's it works. You don't really need anything be explained for you. And you just get to see characters living their day-to-day life and how they just handle the different things going on in Gotham. So Regent, what did you think about the way that they chose to open this film? I mean, they were definitely aiming for more of a, I don't want to use the term holistic, but it was very more surreal given everything going on in society right now. Honestly, it's probably the the most I can say about it right now. Cookie, what did you think about the way they opened the film? It was a solid opening. I enjoy movies that don't necessarily always have to explain every little detail, how things start in everyone's background. I actually really do enjoy where a movie is just a cutout of this time period. So for Arthur, this is just a cutout of his history. You can just kind of take however time period. I don't know. Was it weeks? 
it was only like a week or two or something like that. I really like how it's just that it just takes that out. And this is like, this is what happens during this time. And the other part I really like is, and I'm going to go ahead and start bringing up the rest of the movie too, is that this really starts bringing in that this Joker, this version of Joker, this has been a long time coming. This was being built up since he was a kid. And I like that. It's it's a different take versus the, you know, the original first Batman in the eighties where it was like, he was a crime Lord and this and that you got Heath Ledger where it's like, he has a mysterious background. I really appreciate having a different rendition. And this one is a more long-term and I like it because too, it helps explain even more why he can be so chaotic by the time Batman shows up is because he's just had a whole life of being this crazy and it's just cracked at this time period. And it's just only going to get worse from there. And it makes even more sense why he's going to be so unstable. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the things they handled well is explaining how trauma can affect someone when that trauma tends to go unnoticed and uncared for with the trauma of what his mother allowed to happen to him and what his mother did to him when he was a child sort of conditioned him, like you said, to become Joker, but then continuing to live with the person that inflicted that trauma on you, especially as they degrade and get older and get weaker. Oof, it's it allows that trauma and that anger to sort of be suppressed for a while. And then it still builds that whole time. And I think they handled mental illness in a decent way. I wouldn't say, oh, it's the best portrayal of mental illness that's ever happened in cinema. But I feel like this is a good example of what can happen if there's no conversation ever had about mental illness and how to treat it and how to go about handling it. That reminds me of with Heath Ledger, the biggest fan theory right now is that his portrayal of Joker was actually someone from the military who was suffering, living with PTSD and just the war and chaos around him and just all the background politician politicking that goes on and being, you know, just left out there to die and things like that and wanted to bring that chaos back because no one was there to hear him out and be there for him. And basically just throwing chaos into the wind and letting the whole world burn to see the world that he sees now from what he went through. You're talking a oh my gosh, an 11-year gap between those two movies. And mental health was passively portrayed in Dark Knight to this movie now. So there's definitely still a theme that's transitioning and evolving in cinema. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I, I think movies are starting to move towards the point of what-if situations and leaving a lot up to speculation. The instance of Joker, the 2019 being, this is what happens if versus back in 2008, it would be the speculation of, well, what happened? And then, like I just said, with the 2019, it explains the happen, the why of mental illness. So I think that's two different takes on Joker that handles mental illness in two different ways. And while, yes, they're both portrayed as evil, not necessarily evil, but chaotic and dark tendencies, mental illness unchecked and uncared for. Yeah, watching a film like this, diving deeper into the psychology and the creation of someone such as Joker, it leads me to be excited at the possibility of one day where we can have in cinema, especially superhero films, where we actually dive really deep on both sides, the heroes and the villains. Because when you think about it, Marvel attempted this at some point, and it was the X-Men prequels. They were going to do one for Magneto. If they did something like this, where it was this kind of quality, I mean, who knows where that would have went to. 
But jumping back on this, though, is like, could you imagine? I seriously doubt it will happen. But in an amazing world, if we could pull this off, is that every villain from the Batman universe, especially the big ones, you know, Mr. Freeze and uh, all the other ones, Poison Ivy, if they could actually have a really well-written movie of this kind of quality explaining how they become developed as who they are. I mean, they do. They're just animated. Yeah, but that's my (laughs) point is that the cinematic is even more powerful because you can see the animated, but the cinematic makes you feel like you're in that realm with them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not taking any away from your argument. I completely agree that having a physical live action movie to help portray the backstories of these characters, the actual caring of the weight and pain that they're going through that creates this persona that the villains that we know and love to this day. That'd be a fantastic way of portraying it just as long as it's done correctly and respectfully, of course. Which I don't see it happening for too long. I couldn't see them doing this for every person. Like even with this one, I feel like this was like a perfect storm. All the pieces came together for this, but I couldn't see the same director and the same writers being able to write for Poison Ivy, for example, because then you got to start bringing some of the mystify, the powers, the unexplained, you know, Poison Ivy's powers doesn't exist in real life that we know of. This one is like, this is totally believable for this kind of villain to exist. Quite honestly, in the catalog of Batman villains, and I know we're trying away from this venture and I apologize, the next closest villain that'd be in the similar lens or scope as Joker would really be Edward Nigma, aka the Riddler, or Victor Freeze. Those would be your next two villains from a human standpoint that have psychological conditions that transcend into bigger characters and bigger personas than what they are in their human form. Yeah, that was really cool. Well, speaking on that, to bring it back now, do you all feel... I'm not asking if they're going to make a sequel, but do you feel that they should make a sequel? Is there any more story to tell with this team? Would it be just as effective or should this be a one-time thing? I think they can do a second one with some of the info they've sprinkled throughout the movie. How well will it transcend the film? That is up to them. And they they took their time with this movie. I'm okay with them taking their time for the second one if they choose to do it. Oh, you venture. Do you feel they should make a sequel or should they leave it alone? people are going to hate me for this. I feel like they should leave it alone. And I have a reason for that is when you have a movie like this, that is so near perfect, that is so well written and it tells a perfect story from start to finish. And that's exactly what this movie is. It is a open book, closed book. And now, of course, you do have the Batman thing, but I don't want to see this Joker interact with Batman. A reason why I don't want to see this Joker interact with Batman is because it takes away that mystery of joker in society and i want to see this joker interact with society more than i want to see him interact with batman and i don't I, think that would work i wholeheartedly agree with you venture thank you uh, yay completely <laughs> agree with that. but that's where i want to piggyback off venture real quick because like you said about interacting with society and not with batman my my theory for the sequel would be his relationship with dr harley quinn because in the in the movie about him saying about it, telling about a joke and she wouldn't understand it, building up that infatuation that leads to their toxic romance and level of, of abuse that the characters have gone through in the history of Joker and Harley Quinn, that would be a compelling social topic to discuss and watching that mental breakdown between each of them as pre, as individual characters and as a couple. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. That's actually, I give you that a fair argument. My only problem with it is I'm about tired of Harley Quinn. They are, they have milked that to death. And my worry would be as soon as they bring that conversation into this, it just starts falling back into that territory of making her a sellable icon. 
I mean, that's how she was treated in the animated series because she wasn't in the comics until that point. I feel like that was actually my most favorite version. So, like, in today's marketing, Harley Quinn is on the forefront, whereas in the Batman Adventures or the Adventures of Batman, when it came to Harley Quinn in the, the cartoon series, she would just show up as much as any other character. Yeah, she was a secondary villain in the animated series, but she left enough lasting impression that she garnered fanfare more than, oh my gosh, Man Bat, Clayface, Killer Croc. Just those three villains alone, she's already gained more popularity than those three put together. She's on the Riddler level and Victor Freeze level of fans. All the more we don't need to put her in another film. <laughs> yeah. But some trivia about the film. It was the first R-rated film to hit $1 billion. And if you all remember in recent years, Deadpool and Deadpool 2 was reaching for that. But this just blew it out in water. And I definitely believe it deserved it. Now, this was actually a lower budget film because WB actually didn't originally want to film this because they felt it was going to be too dark. So because they decided to do it, they did offer the director kind of one of those deals where it's like, we'll pay you less money, but you can get a percentage of the box office. Well, <laughs> bad boy got away with $70 million paid directly to him. The budget of the film was thirty million. Just think about that. <laughs> when making those deals goes good. Mm -hmm. Now, bouncing off of all the praise that we're giving the film, some of the things that helped to create a piece about it was they actually had the music made before filming, so it really helped with a lot of the the things that Phoenix did in his performance. They were playing the music in the background so he could dance to it. That's why he performed even better to match up with a lot of that stuff. I point that out because that's not a normal thing. And Regent can definitely vouch for it as he knows a lot about the behind the scenes so that they typically do it the other way around. Yep. They do all the work first, add the score in later and blend it in. Yeah. I grew up with several bands I listened to that actually did the music first and did the lyrics after the fact. It's not uncommon, at least in media. Hmm. Yeah. It's not as common in films, though, because they typically have, I've seen the makings of where they'll play the film and then they'll be in the studio working together with it. Now, for characters in the film, Alec Baldwin was considered for Thomas Wayne, but he had a schedule conflict. Now, just imagine that. I don't think it would have been any different. I mean, sure, I think Alec Baldwin has definitely a higher higher list versus the guy who actually played Thomas Wayne. But Thomas Wayne didn't really feel like as big of a character. He was an important character, but like not as important in the sense of he carried the film or something like that. You know what I mean? Other than him being possibly Joker's father, I didn't feel like it was much else to it. And then you guys know Martin Scorsese, right? Yeah. Awesome. So he was actually considered to film the movie and Leonardo DiCaprio being in Jack and Phoenix place. Nope. nope. <laughs> right? Nope. Could you imagine that? Uh, this movie would not have been the same thing. I definitely don't believe it. So now we, we got Phoenix and we had De Niro. They actually had a beef. Really? The movie was being made. Yeah, it started out from the jump too. What happened was De Niro, because he's done this for a long ass time, he had a certain way he wanted to read the script and do a lot of practice beforehand. And Phoenix wanted, was more of like on the spot kind of actor. They had that issue from the beginning and it pretty much created a lot of tension. So outside of scenes, they barely ever talked. Would have never guessed it. But now when I start picturing the scenes that they're together and you kind of see De Niro's face, De Niro always kind of had that like the De Niro face, but it almost looked like it was almost a little bit more of a I'm annoyed at you face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at least when I see it now, knowing that. 
Wow. One of the things too about that was is that the mentality was that they had similar acting methods and that was kind of confliction between the two of them. Kind of like two alpha males with the same direction of something. They're they're passively butting heads, but they don't want to initiate conflict for any resolvement. They just see each other, acknowledge, get disgusted, and just get it done and move on. Exactly. All right. I'd like to ask you guys a question. How did you all feel about the plot twists in the movie? There was definitely some good revelations. So I think my favorite plot twist was the whole the girl was never there type deal. Ooh. And I know that that was an easy one for some people's spot. I I watched it with a friend and he's like, oh, she's not real. She's not really there, is she? Like right off the get go. And I'm like, how do you know? Yeah, <laughs> I fell for it. I'm not even going to fret. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. Just the way that they set it all up to be like the one person that was compassionate towards him and showed him like kindness and acceptance and laughed at his jokes, even though no one thought he was funny. And then just for them to tear that away. Mm. Ugh, he, he kept losing everything in this movie and it hurt my heart a little bit. That one was really good. The one where he's Thomas Wayne's son. Nope, you're not really. You were just an adopted child who was abused and neglected as a child. It's like, why you got to do this? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to go this hard. I was worried where they were going with that just straight up. I knew there was going to be more to the film. And I was like, there's always that possibility that it's going to be something fake. But it bothered me in a good way. I was like, where are y'all going to go with this? Like, are we going to create some weird, twisted, you know, their related storyline universe? Mm. You know, like you, whenever you have like a work of fiction, especially when it comes to comic books, you can have variations of things. And sometimes you can change up certain origin stories. So you just never know until the story is fully told. But I was so glad and I enjoyed the plot twist of all that stuff. I definitely agree with the with Sophie. And I do want to point out when I was researching some stuff about the film, it's actually a very obvious thing that happens in the beginning when she's introduced she already knows his name and that's something mm. you have to pick up on and she's like hey author but that's their first time ever meeting each other but it happens so quick and subtle you don't really notice unless you paid that much attention so i need to chime in real quick when you said about the whole brothers thing technically there was a story arc dedicated for that that he was his half brother and thomas didn't want him in the family to mess with martha or for martha to know that he had an affair so he was locked up away in like a boarding school that treated him like poorly and then he kept being institutionalized at like arkham asylum growing up whoa i might actually check that out sometime yeah there's there's a star arc for that and then there was another one with hush which was Bruce Wayne's childhood best friend, that he tried to insert himself into the family to claim the Wayne inheritance from Bruce. That was a whole <laughs> sideshow of a comic arc as well. Yeah, there's been some nutty Batman-Joker relations in the comics. I didn't really want them to be brothers in this movie. I'm just like, please don't. Please, please yeah, don't. I, I don't. I, I don't need this. Yeah, it was a great way to trick you. There's just so much about the movie that has so much symbolism and so much connections. It's definitely something I do want to see again sometime soon. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wanted to ask you guys was, what did you guys think of his spiral down? Like the way that they slowly set up to where they're starting to take everything away. And then once they finally took that thing, that straw that broke the camel's back per se, from that moment on in the movie where he shot those guys in the subway, what did you guys think of just how each thing he did afterwards, not necessarily the way they told that story, but just the things he did after? What did you guys think of that? 
I would say while I was watching it, I was being careful about how I felt about certain things. I have never been sympathetic towards the Joker in any rendition that I've ever seen. This one had me cautious from the beginning because I was starting to like the guy. I definitely saw some issues, but he was becoming likable, even if it's like a I love to hate him type of villain. But I was also being patient like I know you're going to snap. You become one of the worst villains that I've ever seen for a reason. I'm not just going to immediately believe that you're just going to be this likable villain and you're going to be, you know, the the anti-hero kind of thing. Call him bullshit right now as I was watching it. And when I saw the fall and the snap and just getting worse and worse, it was one of those things where it was proving me like, oh, yeah. That's right. You're going to go down that route. But I also did feel kind of bad, too, because I was like, ah, shit, like, (laughs) you know, like how much of the Joker being Joker was his fault versus the world creating the Joker, which I enjoyed having to think about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Region. First and foremost, it's better than him being thrown into a vat full of chemicals. (laughs) The old school. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, definitely better than that. And from someone with a psychology background, the everlasting evolution or in this case the downward spiral of arthur each thing he did got just honestly progressively worse it just picked up from you know chasing after a bunch of teens to having a gun put in his pocket from a friend to shooting a couple of wayne enterprise employees to breaking and entering to killing his mother to killing a man on live tv which that's an animated movie reference from the new 52 arc but in terms of the progression it literally was just the the word i want to want to say is i don't want to say disappear but you just the evaporation of the human mind just having control over one's actions thoughts and feelings and just letting it chase the wind and you don't care of the consequences because you you feel like you're fully free from it and that you just want to go and do whatever you wish in this case for him is rampage and that's what makes him feel the most happiest and have purpose in life and that's scary yeah i want to chime in on that last bit where you're like saying that the anarchy and the chaos he caused is sort of what causes him to have purpose in his life and makes him feel happy i think in this movie the only reason why they chose to portray it that way is because it was the only time people had noticed him other than to laugh at him or to hurt him it was the only time people noticed him and appreciated him oh yeah yeah that's why he sort of went on this spiral to sort of go down that path of, okay, maybe I'm not part of this group before the interview. I'm not part of that. And then at the end of it, he's just sort of like, I'm a part of it now. Because <laughs> he saw that no one else appreciated him. He thought that Murray would be the only person who would understand him. But throughout the interview, he's like, yeah, you only brought me on here to laugh at me. Man, I can agree with Cookie on the aspect of even though he's doing all this violent and terrible stuff throughout the movie, you sit there and you just feel bad for him. In retrospect, you're like, man, I feel bad for the people that this happened to. But while watching it, you can't help but feel bad for him. And that's something that they managed to do that I don't know that they can replicate again because we won't have that same spiral down. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. This is definitely something that's going to be hard to duplicate and just, I, I'd rather just leave it as this kind of piece of work. Like Back to the Future. Just leave Back to the Future as it is. Don't mm-hmm. ever try to remake any of that kind of stuff. I do have a question I want to make sure I squeeze in here for you all is the final scene. While I was looking up for stuff for the film, I saw a couple things that people had theories, which I didn't know that was a thing for that part of the movie. But the scene where he's in the mental hospital and he's walking away, you know, blood on his feet. Do you have any thoughts about that part, like where he's going, maybe time period of this? 
It looked more modern, so it looked like he had been in there for at least a moment or two. If I had to take a stab at it, because the movie was based in 1981 deliberately, I would want to say probably, let's say 90s, probably like early to mid 90s, like the cartoon show. Okay. See, I actually like the fact that you both said that because a couple of theories I found about this, which, like I said, I didn't even know this was a thing because I left it as just like, you know, just a little bit of time happened from the previous scene. And that was it. It was just something that was a cool effect. But it was some people had theorized about like this was in the future. You know, one of those kind of things like Batman already exists and this is like something that's going on during this time period and different things like that. I actually kind of like that the scene is set up the way it is. I don't even know if they did it on purpose. I actually thought they kind of just did it more as kind of a, a finale piece to add just a little bit more to leave the door open about who the Joker is going to become or sorry, how the Joker became and what he's going to do next. But I just thought it was really cool. There's just multiple theories of different time periods and stuff like that. And one other thing was, this isn't really a theory, but it's kind of connected to it is that with some of the stuff he had said, they actually did have an alternate ending where the Joker goes back and kills Bruce Wayne. They actually had that as an alternate, but they felt like if they ever decide to do a future movie, they don't want to kill off Batman already. So it was just going to be one of those like alternate universes kind of thing. But they took that back because, of course, we always want to leave room for a sequel. Damn it, Barry. He erased the timeline. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? But that yeah. is legitimately the Flashpoint timeline. Mm-hmm. If they had done that, that would have been Flashpoint. Yeah. And Phoenix confirmed. He said, yeah, that was one of the other endings that we had was Joker was going to go back after the parents had died. Wow. That would have made a lot of that's prop. Wow, that would have made a lot of sense with the upcoming Flash movie. It's literally called Flashpoint. So they could have tied those two together and then undoing that could have changed who the Joker was or who was the Joker. And so that could explain why Jared Leto's Joker and not Joaquin Phoenix in the current day. And Flashpoint Mm. is a correlation to Green Lantern with uh, Blackest Night comic arc. Yep. Yeah. But Phoenix doesn't like sequels and he doesn't want to be a part of any kind of cinematic universe i think that was the other reason too is that they do want to leave this as just a singular movie but they also didn't know how much money it was going to make so we'll see now i do want to leave one more piece of trivia for you all and this is just like one of the phenomenal things that i've ever seen for trivia in a film is that the joker's diary the film itself has been made in six other languages they actually filmed the diary in those six languages. So there's six, seven in total, different versions of the diary in the film that is written authentically in the the language that it's for. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know any film that's ever done something like that. I wouldn't doubt they have, but that's not like a common thing you hear is kind of thing. You just usually throw subtitles at the bottom and you keep things moving. Yeah. That's really cool that they did that for people who don't necessarily read English. That's so cool. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to bring up before we close here in a bit is, you know how you guys have heard the term kicking the dog, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Wait, what? It's kicking a dog when it's down. Oh, okay, yeah. The term came from old Western movies when a bad guy would come on screen and kick the dog. And so immediately that would make the audience hate the bad guy. And so the term kicking the dog became a thing. And it was, in fact, used in a lot of Westerns. And so what I think they did really cool is instead of there being a dog to kick, Joaquin Phoenix, Arthur kicked in the movie, he became the dog that got kicked first thing in the movie. So instead of you hating the kids, you just feel bad for the dog. 
which in this case is Arthur. Yeah. The first thing they do is make you feel bad for Arthur right off the gate. So that way you feel more okay with his actions throughout the movie and you start to slightly feel bad for him. So that was just one of the final notes I had. What about you, Regent? Any final notes? I do wish for a bigger universe at some point with Batman. Like a justified one, but I also don't want it to fall into campy comic book, like Saturday morning cartoon era Batman. All I'm going to say is Robert Pattinson and Jared Leto are coming, baby. Not too soon. <laughs> <laughs> at least Robert Pattinson. I'm super excited for that. I am too, but it has definitely been officially confirmed. Those two are not connected. Those are two different realms and worlds. I know. I just want to see Jared Leto actually get a chance on Joker versus what they allowed him to have in Suicide Squad. Because he filmed apparently enough for an entire movie and then they just cut it down to, what, two minutes of screen time? So That's such a weird movie, but... Anywho, if you all would like for us to review Suicide Squad, please don't. (laughs) Please don't email us. Please do not email us if you want us to watch Suicide Squad. I will throw my DVD out the window if you do. So don't do that. But with that being said, let us know if you enjoyed this episode. And if there are any other movies that you want us to cover, go ahead and let us know in our email or on our social media accounts which are all linked below so go ahead and do that leave us a review or a like depending on which platform you are on greatly helps us out and is a free way to support this podcast another free way is tell a friend on social media or in person either way works whichever way works for you so regent and cookie thank you very much for joining me for another episode of cinematic rewind goodbye bye thank you listeners for listening we hope you enjoyed And we all hope you have a wonderful day. Goodbye.